the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to the second half of Armchair Politics uh, on this week's uh, political roundtable featuring our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Welcome back, Henry. Thank you. Hey, can I just say this? I went on the the internet and looked up what a bone density um, would cost, and <clears throat> now for the bone density uh, uh, machine would cost about eighty five. The, the test would cost eighty five to three hundred twenty five dollars. Bone and bone composition uh, determines the milligrams per unit volume and uh, for uh, or milligrams per kilogram if you're looking for it in those units. And the lease of bone density equipment is $30,000 per unit time, but I don't know whether the unit time is months, days, or years. But you could buy this equipment for $19,000. So and that's on the internet. It seems like every people, clinic in Genesee County ought to have one after what people went through with the Flint water crisis. That's true. But I also yeah. want to make sure that we uh, include uh, in the introductions uh, joining us for this week's uh, edition of Armchair Politics is former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. Um Let's see. Where did I where did I leave off? Uh, okay, we are on this page. 
forgive me I had to change pages for that uh, little intro there um, oh I know where we were yeah I'm not and this one's kind of kind of funny an inkster democratic state lawmaker recently published several social media posts that appear to question the safety of COVID-19 vaccines and the necessity of vaccine mandates. The post from Representative Jewel Jones appear to go against the findings of the vast majority of research and the advice of most state and national experts along with the leaders of his own political party. Last week, Jones took to his active Instagram account to post a meme featuring actor John Hamm from a scene in the television series Mad Men it says, stop saying you did your research before you got the injection. You are the research. <laughs> on, on, on Sunday, Jones offered his support if students or employees wanted an exemption to a requirement to be vaccinated. If anybody needs a letter by me to support you filling out an exemption for vaccination for work or school purposes, let me know, Jewel posted. House Democratic leader Donna Lazinski, a Democrat from Skio Township, did not answer free press questions about whether Jones's COVID-19 posts are appropriate or whether she'd spoken with Jones about the posts. Um, my question is, do you think uh, Representative Jones will face any disciplinary actions from the House or his caucus? Hmm. Well, he doesn't speak for everybody. You know, that's an opinion. That's not a... You know, I thought the Mad Men meme was really pretty amusing, but I think he might have crossed the line when he offered to, you know, write letters from a state representative supporting exemptions. Yeah, Yeah, that's he doesn't have the authority to do that. Exactly. Yeah, but he can he can give his perspective. Yeah, people have got the right to say crazy things up, up to a point. But like I say, with, I think the, if there's a letter on state letterhead or anything of that nature from his office, that does cross the line, it seems to me. And besides someone who falls sick to this, he could be sued. You know, you want to be letter, careful. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 the data is established that this is a serious problem and needs to be considered by experts. One of the best lines I've seen on that whole issue lately is I've seen that some of those folks who were skeptical and saying the research hasn't been done enough on the vaccines are all too willing to take some horse dewormer that's supposed to cure COVID virus. (laughs) Yeah, nobody asks what's in a hot dog. (laughs) That's right, that's right. (laughs) You know, I... I, uh... I, I joked about it a little bit. I was emceeing a, a music uh, festival a couple of weeks ago, and I, I told people at the festival uh, that I had taken the two Pfizer shots, and I said, because who am I to turn down a double shot? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, nobody ever asked about how many animal parts in black pepper. 30,000 parts per million. Can you imagine that? 30,000 parts per million. And, and that's a oh, lot. Yeah, don't, don't, don't tell me the numbers, because I, I learned a long time ago, the only things I really like are butter, salt, and pepper, and I just keep coming up with things to have them on. <laughs> so don't ruin my pepper for me. 
Well, <laughs> whether Sidney Powell and a cadre of pro-Trump lawyers sanctioned by a federal judge for their conspiracy-laden lawsuit to overturn Michigan's 2020 presidential election can continue to practice law is now in the hands of attorney disciplinary authorities around the country. While the lawyers will face some immediate penalties following last week's blistering ruling, disciplinary proceedings for all nine lawyers could take years to unfold. U.S. District Court Judge Linda Parker ordered the lawyers to cover the legal costs incurred by the city of uh, Detroit and the state in defending against the baseless allegations of fraud. It's unclear what the final cost will be, be, but in an earlier filing, Attorney General Dana Nessel asked Parker to order the lawyers to cover about $11,000 in legal fees. It doesn't seem like that much. What do you think the outcome will be? Hmm. I mean, I I, I don't know. Somehow my guess is they'll be sanctioned, but probably aren't going to lose their license is my guess. But it's purely a guess. Yeah, because there are so many things that are not determined uh, and test. Um. There are a lot of things that are yet speculated, but uh, well, we've oh, but. you know we've touched on this as this case was uh, and this this and other cases were unfolding. Um, how how do you discipline someone for putting up false information in an adversarial setting like a courtroom? You know, the, there are two sides and. One of them's going to be right, and one of them's going to be wrong. Usually, is the yeah, one that's yeah, wrong I, I, determined false or fraudulent? And and you know, um, I don't know. You know I, 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 as I said, I said before. I think when when this first came up, I mean, I, I have little sympathy for what these guys were doing. But on the other hand, as you say, in a courtroom, a defense attorney is saying, you know, my client did not commit this murder, or whatever, and maybe he indeed did commit the murder. So, I mean, that's part of being a defense lawyer very often. Uh, and, and you often take those kind of stands. Uh, I, I do think this is an important area that uh, the professions and, and through the regulatory bodies in the states have to, they do have to enforce uh, professional standards. Uh, let's remember the only lasting sanction against uh, President Clinton was he lost his law license for a period of time. He wasn't convicted in the impeachment, as we all know. That's right. But he did, he did lose his law license for a period yeah. of time. And, and uh, if, if we walk away from the professions, the legal folks uh, enforcing standards of good conduct, that's, uh, it's just going to make it more uh, untoward. So I'm all for this, uh, and hopefully they'll get it right. And, you know, uh, a decision made today in today's climate would uh, not be the same decision made 10 years from now when people change and look back at things. They may condemn such a decision uh, from their perspective on what we did today. That's that's correct. And it's hard. You know, we're in this habit right now. I was, uh, Tom knows this, I was one of five people in a small group that helped uh, make the original proposal within the Bush administration, uh, 9-11, after 9-11, to create the Homeland Security Department. And 
I was doing a long interview with, with someone uh, recently. It's because uh, there, as you can imagine, there's a spate of articles now. Uh, we're we're imposing now our knowledge and standards from uh, this period on the decisions that were taken 20 years mm-hmm. 20 years ago when we were under attack. And uh, that the point, Henry, you're making is exactly right. You do the best you can, but you try to enforce standards of good conduct. Um, as you go, and I do think some of the lawyers, and I'm not going to get into the specifics on anyone, but uh, just got out there, and there's a difference, I would say. If you're a defense attorney, yeah, you do anything, basically almost anything you can to rebut that charge. But these were people who were bringing uh, charges, using their public... Uh, True. Uh, <laughs> it's a little different, a little different to underdo, un- undo a, an election, if you will. Yeah, and and whether or not they were trumped up charges, no pun intended. <laughs> um, you know, is is that something you know that that falls under the purview of of those kinds of um, regulatory authorities within their profession? And also, uh, some of the manufacturers of these voting machines brought suits against. Oh, I think oh. They, they said we're going we're going after right. Fox News and some of the attorneys and. Uh, those people stood down they, after after those suits were brought. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see and and to follow that. It will be. Yeah. Let's see. I don't want to start into this next one because it's going to take more than the two minutes we have before break. So I'm checking Paul's list to see if there's there's a, a, a quickie. Oh, I, I know what we can maybe talk about a little bit since it's just after Labor Day is um, what's going on with uh, the schools starting up. Genesee County has uh, a mask mandate in place for all schools in Genesee County. And I think that is that all of the students, Paul, or is it? I think so. I five thought, and I thought above. Was all, I think you know, K through twelve, at least, that is my understanding. And Henry may know more more details from the Clio area, but I thought it was all all schools within Genesee County had a mask mandate for kindergarten through twelfth grade. Um, I think that's also authorized by the city health department. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You, 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 you. Well, remember you have to last. Play ball then. <laughs> remember a couple that, of weeks ago, we we talked about uh, Genesee County Prosecutor David Layton came out and and made a statement saying that the Genesee County Health Director was the yeah. only one that could that yeah. was the only body that could make a determination about that, and she already had. But the the county board of commissioners and even the uh, county health department were trying to, I don't know, move it around or or adjust it in some ways. And they said they didn't really have the authority to do that, that only she had it. Well, the issue is not settled yet. This would be settled on school campuses, on (laughs) local districts, where women, parents, mothers, and fathers, uh, I, I still uh, wonder whether we're going to see a big surge. If in the, once once school gets like underway, are we going to see a big surge yes. coming out of schools? Because there's so many yeah. you know, incidents here or there. Uh, where well, 
we got a we got a well, break we, there, but we'll be back with more armchair right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armchair Politics continues with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by Mark Everson. Um, A late-night U.S. Supreme Court ruling that allows a seemingly unconstitutional Texas abortion law to stand is not necessarily a blueprint for anti-abortion rights activists in Michigan. Abortion remains legal in Michigan, with almost 30,000 performed last year, but the state still has an abortion ban on the books that could take effect if the high court later decides to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling. The court decision affirmed a constitutional right to abortions nationwide in 1973, but activists note it could be overturned by the conservative majority on the Supreme Court as soon as next summer, given the abortion challenges currently on the docket. What do you think the future holds for right to life versus freedom of choice? Hmm. I think it's going to change. I think that people, as we said, we're looking back at something that happened uh, 50 years ago, um, and we have a different opinion of that based upon the court's ruling, a heartbeat. And people, when they hear that, that I think it sensitizes Many moms who don't think about how precious to a heartbeat is. And I think that people for the moment are changing their sensitivities to that. Do you think the court, though, would be willing to overturn Roe Wade directly, or would they simply accept more limitations? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Justice Roberts especially, who's a bit more of a institutionalist. Well, there's there's another question about John Roberts because he he voted again with the liberals. Yeah, yeah. And are the Supremes becoming less of a Roberts court? That's that's true. I think that's that's very clear because yeah, uh, the conservatives don't need Roberts anymore to to get a five four ruling. Right. And uh, so he's he's in essence lost control of the court. The court now. Uh, I, I think the leader of the court is probably Alito at this at this stage because he's he's uh, you know Clarence Thomas is a little bit older. He's I, I, my perception of him is he's a little bit more in the background, but Alito is a very forceful intellect and and he's of course got a little more experience than the three Trump appointees. But yeah, he seems to be the uh, the center of the court, if you will, at this at this moment. Yeah. Well, just um, you know, in terms of of what uh, what Paul said a, a moment ago, uh, as to overturning Roe v. Wade, the the scientific information that was available for that ruling has changed significantly, and I think there are going to be challenges to Roe v. Wade that may become very compelling in the near future. Yeah, I mean, that, that trimester yeah. division that Wade created may, may be modified clearly, and in fact it has been here and there over the last half century. So that's a possibility. But whether they would overturn it directly, I, I, I don't know. It's entirely possible given the makeup of the court. But 
That's what's been asked for. The cases of Mississippi cases. Yeah, the Mississippi was probably more important than Texas in many ways. Well, I think that's yeah. correct, and it's been it's it's on the docket for the coming term. Yeah, and and you know I I think it would be uh, we got to leave some room for people who just just absolutely want independence of over their bodies. So there's got to be a little bit of uh, uh, wiggle room for them. And, and I, so I think they're going to modify it. Uh, things like incest, rape, um, uh, physical limitations and stuff like that will add to those exceptions in the rule. Yeah. You know, it's just worth noting, too, though, that even if they were to overturn Roe Wade, it would simply throw the ball back in the state's courts. Because even before yeah. Roe Wade, some states did allow abortion in, in in some limited circumstances, more limited than later, but but it was not totally banned entirely before, even before Roe versus Wade. Um, so it was somebody throw the the ball back to the states, and you might see you know fifty states doing fifty different things uh, with, with regard to the issue. And that's not what the law, federal law, should be. Uh, the law should yeah. be that everybody equally, every state equally, right, so that they can have dominion over lower courts and rulings. You know, that's been a tradition of the courts anyway. Yeah. You want that. Well, I think the question here is, is uh, Roe was decided on, it, there was an assertion there was a constitutional right, and if the court backs away from that, that does sort as I would guess, under our system, back to the states to legislate. And uh, as Paul's indicating, uh, abortion was legal. New York had, uh, had legalized, is my recollection, and uh, there, were, there was a real patchwork quilt here, and that's, that's right. what would happen. That's what would happen, if you will. I suspect uh, a lot of states like Michigan have existing bans on abortion that were overrun by Roe v. Wade, and if that were set aside, a lot of those laws I think you would see uh, come back to life. That may be correct. Yeah, you see, see 50 different battles in 50 different state legislatures. I don't even which... think there'd have to be a battle. I, th I think they would just simply... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, they would, but I mean, that the issue would come up, it would be, there might be attempts in some states to, to repeal the old laws or modify the well, that's old true. laws, or that's keep true. the, or reinstate the old laws if necessary, but, yeah, but you're, you're, but, but you're right, here in Michigan, that, that, as far as I know, that old laws is still on the books, and if there were a reversal of Roe Wade, that was, that would just bring that law back into effect. But there's another issue that's uh, contentious, uh, the definition of murder. And uh, many people see cutting up a baby when it's moving around in its mother's womb is murder. And uh, I don't think the American people or people around the world are ready to accept that kind of definition of abortion. So uh, even but, if but we were to turn it back over to states. But uh, because of changes to the scientific interpretations of the beginning of life, it's it's going to change um, when it can move into that definition. It might. 
it might yeah i mean well we're we're gonna see that's that's uh that's for sure um President Joe Biden on Friday signed an executive order directing the Department of Justice and other federal agencies to conduct a declassification review of documents related to the FBI's investigation of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. The review could result in the release of new documents should the agencies find some that can be declassified. The move comes about a month uh, after more than 1,600 people affected by the September 11th attacks released a letter calling on Biden to refrain from going to Ground Zero in New York City to mark the 20th anniversary of the event this uh, coming Saturday unless he releases additional documents and information the government has previously blocked. Not long after that letter, the Department of Justice announced that it would review what previously withheld information or documents related to September 11th uh, attacks it can disclose to the public. Is 20 years long enough to qualify the declassification of these types of documents? Not based on traditional practices, no. I mean, I guess it depends what the documents are. It's hard to say without knowing it, but I know certainly after, are, are there still some things classified from World War II and Korean War? I mean, there may be a few things left in that those categories. I don't know. Usually it's 50 years. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Is that it? According to uh, comedian uh, Bill Dana, who played um, Jose Jimenez, uh, one of the big secrets that's still being kept from World War II is that it's still going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, struck by this issue. And uh, again, we we're talking about the support. 20 years is not that long a time. And, um, but there's. Mark, am I right in remembering that you were actually in the White House on September 11th? Yeah, that's correct. I was in the White House complex in the Eisenhower building. And, oh, okay. Uh, and and uh, we evacuated and uh, up to uh, up to the Hay Adams Hotel, uh, some blocks north, and you had hundreds of people standing in the lobby and in the bar. But uh, it was yeah, quite quite something. And and uh, um. I am sympathetic to this desire to learn more here because uh, mm-hmm. if you if you go back, uh, it is what was so unsettling about nine eleven was not the fact of the attack. Of course, that was disturbing, but the way it was done with with whatever it was twenty different people with box cutters and very low tech and uh, right. the the infiltration of our. Um, of our immigration system and everything else, it's it was very unsettling. And I remember people in the National Security Council. My office was up on the third floor, and, and uh, the EOB right on Pennsylvania Avenue, overlooking Pennsylvania Avenue. And people were there from the uh, National Security Council. I weren't talking. They were worried about people wandering into shopping malls with uh, backpacks full of dynamite and stuff because. This was a low-tech attack. It wasn't some chemical weapon or nuclear weapon. And if they could do this with just committed people, uh, you know, what what else could they do? And the question is, who did help those individuals in the country? Because apparently they, a lot of them didn't speak English, and 
they had some support to open bank accounts, and and got they got some help. Didn't didn't a number of them have tra- have uh, air uh, air aircraft training at some schools around the country? I think. They were able to do that and ha- yeah. help them get that. I mean, there there. Right. I think it's a legitimate. It's a legitimate question, and the fact is, I I don't don't hold me to this number, but something like fifteen or seventeen of the twenty were Saudis. So that's it's not like there was a mishmash. Uh, these yeah. pe- these people did these people didn't come out of the caves of Afghanistan. Do you have any yeah. any sense, Mark, of um, with that many of the hijackers being Saudi, why the attention was focused on Iraq? Well, that was later. That was you know that was the the initial attention was not focused on Iraq. It was, was it Afghanistan. We, we, we went to Afghanistan. We we took action against Afghanistan, I believe, in October of, of two thousand and one. And the you know the the invasion of of Iraq, uh, I believe, was May first of two thousand three. So there was a passage of of time there as as the intelligence communities and everybody else looked at what else was going on in these in in these domains of terrorism and everything else. And we all know that the intelligence was was fail it was was flawed uh, in terms of the case that was put together about Iraq but our initial response was in Afghanistan there and I would commend to your listeners uh, Tom uh, Robert Kagan wrote a, a very interesting piece in the in the Washington Post a couple weeks ago everybody was talking about Afghanistan and the flawed it, it, you know it was flawed from the start the intervention nation building well he said hey this is wrong People were afraid. We we went into Afghanistan because we were afraid, and that is correct. We were afraid that we would be hit again. That's what the thinking was, and uh, so uh, Afghanistan was was not the United States trying to rebuild a, or create a democracy. Uh, well, was, and that's really one of the problems, and why we ended up being there for twenty years. There was no clear mission. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's, that is the question, but um, look, I, I think we've had this conversation before. I respect the fact that the president's able to make the decision to pull out. I, I probably would have kept 5,000, 7,500 troops in there just as a check and a presence in that part of the world. And the fact is we hadn't lost any servicemen over there or women over there for like something like 18 months until we lost the 13. But So I do think that given... That's a pretty tough neighborhood and everything else, all the issues. I probably would have erred on keeping troops over there. But uh, it's it's revisionist thinking to say that we weren't in there for strategic purposes and and defensive purposes. We... That's how we got over there. Iraq's a different, a different animal. That's a very different thing. Uh, Yes, something I read. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I read something else I read, which was the reason we got into this tough situation was the Democrats were kind of backed into a corner. They were attacking the uh, Iraq, and they were they considered Afghanistan the good war, and so that's why it went on for mm. as long as it as it did. That the Democrats didn't push back because they sort of had to split the baby. They were yeah. they were very yeah. anti, you know very anti on the Iraq, but they so that kind of prompted them to take a 
a pro-Afghanistan uh, incursion side. So it's, it's, Mark, it's a mess. Um, Tom, through, through you to Mark. Um, there were agreements that the United States had against the South. It's called the Southeast Asia Agreement from Second World War. Did that play any measure into why we were in Afghanistan and Iraq? I, I'm not familiar with that, Henry. Uh, you'd have to say a little more, but I don't. I think that people took a fresh look at everything based on those events of 9/11, and then Iraq. They they reached this conclusion that Saddam had the chemical weapons, and uh, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, yep. And, I, I kind of uh, wonder whether or not those, in terms of the classified documents, whether or not some of those will deal with our ties with the Saudis, because we've been on, you know, somewhat amiable terms with the Saudis for a long time, and whether or not there were simply embarrassing things that have taken place in the past that uh, were going to embarrass somebody in, in light of what happened. Well, my perception on this, Paul, is that uh, Saudi Arabia, it's a pretty murky structure, and you have real power centers that are people in the royal family, but they're not quite in the government, if you will, and yet they have a lot of money and they have a lot of influence, and I think if, if reading between the lines, what I've inferred from this conversation is that there may have been prominent Saudi people who supported through charitable organizations or something else, these uh, folks. Yeah. A little bit different from the government itself, but I think the frustration of the family members is they want to know what happened here. And uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with them on the substance. Uh, but I, again, I don't feel it's, it, you shouldn't, just disclose state secrets uh, any old time. I think that's not a good practice. Mark, you mentioned, um, and and we've talked about this uh, some years ago, um, that you were on the the committee that outlined the the creation of what became Homeland Security. Um, were you? privy to the kind of documents that people want to see released? I mean, was there sensitive information that you had access to in in discussing how to go forward and, and so on? No, not really. Uh, if you think about this, there were, there were several different avenues of inquiry that were going on after 9-11. There were, there were the military situation and the what to do in Afghanistan, um, and then there were issues like the debate over what led to the Patriot Act and other things that Congress could do. And then finally what happened was, you'll recall in October the president, uh, or maybe it was even in September, he appointed Governor Tom Ridge to become his first Homeland Security Advisor. It became evident early in, in 2002 by March that that solution wasn't working. So what happened was, uh, Andy Card, who was, you may remember, the chief of staff uh, uh, to the president, he, he, he put together a five-person group, uh, which I was OMB's representative on it, to look at the proper organization of the government in light of, of 9-11. That's a different issue. Did we have, you know, you had obviously this problem of the cooperation between the CIA and the FBI and the sharing of information, but we're, we're all the different uh, capabilities in the right departments, and that's what we were looking at. And uh, the example I always use is uh, my old shop. I'd been at the INS under Reagan. The, if you go went down to El Paso, they had like 12 lanes of traffic, 
and the INS ran six, and the Customs ran six, and they had different procedures for clearing people coming into the country. Uh, that's kind of crazy. And uh, and Tom Ridge uh, was trying to, you know, rationalize some of this stuff, and yet the bureaucracies were fighting it. So it, it did call for some changes. And and uh, again, this this point of revisionist thinking. I mean, uh, somebody was talking to me about this, a reporter, and I said. They were criticizing the department. Yeah, the department has a lot of issues, but uh, the Defense Department was formed in 1947. Goldwater Nichols was uh, revising the chain of command, was done in 1986. It takes a while when you make big changes in government to get them to work fully effectively, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't start on the process. And uh, it, After all, here we are. We're going to get to the 20th anniversary of 9-11 without a significant attack here. So something was done right is what I would tell you. Uh, it did as as was hoped did uh, interagency communication improve after the creation of homeland security or did they just make nice and shake hands and go back to their corners no i think it absolutely did improve but then over time and you know again i'm not part of the federal government now but over time it changes and when i have conversations with people it ebbs and flows in part depending on resources, but yeah, people retreat to their bureaucratic uh, identity. And that's one reason why uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate on, on the effectiveness of Homeland. And, and there's been some discussion that the that, that Homeland, within Homeland, the, the different cons, const, uh, component parts don't cooperate with each other as much as they should. So uh, I think that's an issue, but uh, yes, that, com- that comes and goes. And, People get complacent, and right now everybody's all, people are fairly complacent, I would say. Uh, I think that there's still a terrorist threat, and it's not only internal. It's right to focus on the internal issues after we've seen January 6th and everything else. But uh, I I believe, and that's one reason why I don't favor what President Biden did with Brian, I do think it, it net-net makes us unsafer. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what kind of ceremonies take place on Saturday if the president will be there and if he'll be warmly uh, received. True. Well, it's, it's his, his job to lead the nation, and uh, that's one of the things he's good at is the empathy. And uh, what I, The only thing I'll say about the president here, I've been very struck. Uh, one of the things that the last month has demonstrated is he's got a He's got a real stubborn streak, and uh, he sort of demonstrated this as he's defended his decision to pull everybody out and been quite strident, saying, no, it had to happen, and we did it. We did it well. I think he would have been a little better served by a little more humility in this in this instance because people like Joe Biden, and they like him. They see him as an empathetic figure, but he, he hasn't really come across as very empathetic in this withdrawal. Well, we've got to take a uh, another break here, but we'll be back with uh, with the X Files. Um, we have uh, yeah, we have a couple of pretty fun ones coming up, but um, we are going to take a short break. If you're listening to us on WFOV ninety two point one LPFM Flint, our voices radio is a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my good friend. Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, 
at TomSumnerProgram.com. We have some messages as well. And then we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back. Armchair Politics continues now with my favorite segment, the uh, coveted X-Files, where we look at those weird and wacky uh, news stories uh, that sometimes are hard to tell from the uh, mainstream news. But here's here's one that's that's kind of fun. It seems that most of the names listed to be called for public comment at Thursday's meeting of the Henrico School Board weren't real names in a twist that is reminiscent of Bart Simpson prank calling Moe's Tavern with laughably fake names. Some of the people who signed up to speak included Eileen Dover and Wanker. Not surprisingly, (laughs) none of these people actually showed up. Boingboing.net suspects they ditched the meeting to grab a drink with Alcoholic. <laughs> but as the as a video show, school board member Roscoe Cooper says each person's name with varying degrees of accuracy, and it's hilarious. Would a stunt like this lighten up Flint City Council meetings? <laughs> <laughs> it might just do that. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That. Uh... Uh. Well, it's not like social media makes all those old telephone jokes so much easier. You know? <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite one is is the uh, portrait of Abraham Lincoln with in quotes below it that says you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Signed, Abe <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, well, Jessica Nelson of uh, Mosini pulled into the drive-through <laughs> at a McDonald's in Marshfield on Thursday and said. Um, she looked up to see a cow in the back seat of a Buick sedan three cars ahead of her. I thought it was fake at first. Who puts a cow in a Buick, she told the Associated <laughs> Press on Friday. Then its whole head moved. She quickly picked up her phone and shot video of the bovine. She posted the video on her Facebook page with the caption, A WHOLE FREAKING COW, in all caps. Tell me you live in Wisconsin without telling me you live in Wisconsin. <laughs> By Friday afternoon, the video had gotten 112,000 views. Nelson said um, that the family of the cow's owner saw the post and contacted her. They said that the cow was actually a calf. She said the owner had just purchased it and two other calves, which were in the back seat as well, but were lying down out of sight at an auction. 
Who drives a Buick to a livestock auction? Yeah, I'm going to say, going to say can the Buick folks use that as an advertising for how much space they got in the back seat anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Put a herd of cows there? <laughs> so um, I do want to say, though, that we did have a cow that was stuck in a tree down here uh, during Ida in Louisiana. And uh, really? when the waters receded, yeah, you can look it up. The waters receded, the cow was still there in the tree that had, had to be rescued. <laughs> you know, I think I think maybe I did see something about that. Because um, because I look for these odd, unusual um, adventures that people and animals get into. Um, but yeah, I I'd forgotten about that. Well, the stars of the upcoming live-action Cinderella movie banded together for a bizarre and somewhat unsettling attempt to promote the movie. A costumed Camila Cabello, uh, James Gordon, and um, Idina Menzel and Billy Porter, along with a group of background dancers, held up traffic at a Los Angeles intersection while singing Jennifer Lopez's Let's Get Loud in a video shared by the Twitter account Film Updates on Saturday. The choreographed routine was part of an upcoming edition of Crosswalk the Musical, a running gag on The Late Show with James Corden, in which Corden, dancers, and guests sing and dance at intersections. While some people may have found this festive and fun the stunt mostly received derision and rage on twitter um, out of the cast members corden got the brunt of the mockery probably because he was the one dressed as a mouse and thrusting his pelvis at the air is all publicity good publicity i don't think so <laughs> probably not in this case well, speaking speaking of that, I'm going to throw in a little plug for uh, tomorrow's show because we're going to open it up tomorrow during the 9 o'clock hour with uh, John Bramnick, the uh, New Jersey Assemblyman, known as the funniest lawyer in New Jersey and author of the book Why People Don't Like You, which focuses on interpersonal skills and workplace communications. I think it's going to be fun. I would like it. Yeah. Anyway, let's see. Do I want to squeeze in another one of these? No, let's not. Um, let's let's call that the end of uh, armchair politics, and uh, and and we have a couple of minutes left before wrapping up the show. I had another piece here about uh, uh, a woman um, using a uh, uh, forged document to. Um, prove her uh, vaccination to travel to Hawaii. Did you see this one, Paul? I've seen some I of those saw that. I, I saw I've, I've seen some of the prices they were getting for those. At least one story I saw said that somebody was selling those for $200 a piece. Well, and, they wouldn't uh, have got $200 for these because, uh, <laughs> because of the misspellings <laughs> in the document. Uh, Moderna was spelled M-A-D-E-R-N-A, -E um, and uh, it was apparently signed by uh, two National Guard members from Delaware, one as C.P.L. Wolf, and one was Sergeant Monty. Uh, 
spelled <laughs> S-S-G-T. <laughs> and I, I guess it, 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 she was, uh, basically, she got to visit Hawaii and, and skip the 10-day quarantine. Um, mm. But the, uh, the, the question that I had is, when you're forging documents, doesn't spelling count? I would think so, yeah. And I, those cards that you get are—I mean, they're not exactly uh, high-tech official documents, anyhow. I would think, in terms of forgery, it wouldn't be too hard. It's simply Xerox the darn things, and they look pretty official. I don't know, but yeah, I've, I've seen the stories about people charging enor- enormous amounts for the, those those uh, those documents. It'd be so much simpler to just get the shot. This makes the case on voter ID, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I guess it maybe does. Um, but anyway, I want to say thanks to uh, all of you. And I didn't say anything earlier because I didn't want to jinx myself. But I, uh, uh, after our last get-together two weeks ago and we had all the problems with the echo, I had um, Dan Curran check the... Uh, uh, platform that we use for creating this conference call and I think he maybe uh, rebooted something or reset something because we sure didn't experience today that's right right yeah, there's no echo at all anyway I want to say thanks Henry uh, Hatter um, Henry it's always uh, a treat to have you on the show uh, Tom it's always great to have uh, Mark Everson along with uh, Paul and me Thank you. And I couldn't have said that better myself, Mark. It's always a treat to, to have you join us. It was especially uh, um, nice. I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about September 11th with the 20th right. anniversary. Some really nice insights from Mark. I appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, coming up uh, this this coming Saturday. In fact, I have a guest on Friday who uh, has has written a book about uh, September 11th. And, and apparently... Uh, talks at length about the 19th hijacker and i don't i don't know what it's uh, all about yet but i will friday morning is sort of a prelude to uh, commemorating that that tragic uh, anniversary and of course paul you know it's it's always uh, great to have you always a pleasure well thank you all and uh, have a great rest of the week and uh, for uh Paul and Henry, I'll talk to you next week. And Mark, uh, we look forward well, to having you again. Sounds good. Very good, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Have a good, have a good evening. Mm-hmm. All right. Take care. Bye. And that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics. And, of course, we just uh, thanked our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, but uh, also Mark Everson, who uh, served as a high-ranking uh, government official in two count them to presidential administrations also want to say thanks to economist uh, chris douglas from the university of michigan flint who started out the show this morning and uh, as i mentioned uh, we're going to talk to the funniest lawyer in new jersey tomorrow morning starting at nine o'clock that's smoking george tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i'll see you first thing tomorrow good night everybody program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.